What is a joy to be with you here this morning, especially a joy to be able to share in the celebration of these folks who have put their trust in Christ and identified with him in believer's baptism. And so thankful to, to be here with you. I do bring you greetings from Intercity Baptist Church, your sister church, and Detroit Baptist Theological Seminary. We are thankful for your ministry here and thankful for your pastors here. And I'm thankful to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. I do apologize. I've been getting over a cold, and so I have a cough drop in my mouth. Got some water up here. Hopefully we'll get through this, and I won't uh, annoy you too much with, with coughing as we go through this. We do want to let you know that as we, we get started. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer before we open His Word together. Father, We thank you for your work of saving people. We thank you for your work of baptizing people into your body through your spirit, gifting them so that they might serve you and serve the church. We thank you for this body, and we pray that you would strengthen it, that it would continue to grow and continue to be a light and testimony for you here in the pier and the area around here. We thank you for your word for its eternal, changeless truth. And we ask that as we now come to your word, that we would see your truth for us, and that we would gladly submit to it. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever encountered a bad driver on the road? Don't look to the person next to you right now. You're driving along and all of a sudden someone whips by you and you think, what is that maniac doing? Don't they know they should be going along with the flow of traffic? Don't they realize they can cause an accident? A little later you come up and there's this car that seems to be just crawling along and you think, what is this person doing? Why aren't they going along with the flow of traffic? And thankfully, as good drivers, you always go along with the flow of traffic, right? Unless, of course, you have a good reason not to. Have you ever encountered a bad person? One of my sons, as he was growing up, anytime we were reading a book or watching a show, he was very fascinated with, well, who's the bad guy in this? Who's the bad guy here? And in children's stories, it's usually not too hard to figure it out. They they point to it pretty clearly. They've got some kind of evil, maniacal laugh. They've got some kind of evil villain name. It's very clear, this is the bad guy. And that's not really surprising because there are bad people in our world. There are people who steal and plunder and rape. There are people who promote hatred and prejudice. There are people who murder and commit sexual assault. There are bad people in our world. And we have little trouble recognizing they are the bad guys. And what does that make us? We're the good guys, right? I want to look at a passage this morning in which Jesus talks about good guys and bad guys. And that passage is in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9. If you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18 and verse 9. In Luke 18, Jesus is on his journey to Jerusalem. At the beginning of this chapter, he's just finished the parable, instructing his disciples on what they are to do while they wait for Jesus to return to earth and bring justice. And in verse 9, 
He says, he also told this parable. And I think that's showing in some way it's connected to, to what he just talked about. Now, at a minimum, it's connected because he just talked about praying in the previous parable. And now he's going to talk about two people who are praying. But I think probably the better connection is to realize the question he, he gives at the very end of the parable. If you look back up in verse 8, he ends that verse with saying, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? I think this next parable tells us who are these people who will have faith when Jesus comes back. And he begins the parable in verse 10. And he describes two people. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And if you've been in church for a while, you're probably familiar with this parable. You've heard this parable before. Some of you may remember the King James, the Pharisee and the publican. Or the Pharisee and the tax collector. And you know right away, the Pharisee's a bad guy. But that's not at all what Jesus' hearers would have thought when he talked about them. We tend to think of Pharisees as bad people. But in Jesus' day, Pharisees were good people. They were religious leaders. They were moral people. And the second person, a tax collector, the moment they heard that, everyone in Jesus' day would have said, well, I know that person's a sinner. Because the tax collectors were perhaps the most hated group in Israel. Tax collectors were often Jews. We know this tax collector was a Jew because he's going to the temple to pray, and only Jews can do that. And these tax collectors actually sided with the Roman oppressors and were working with the Romans against the Jews. So that in itself made Jews hate them. And yet tax collectors were notorious for taking more from taxes than they needed to take, for ripping off fellow Jews. And so tax collectors were essentially synonymous with wicked, evil, sinful people. We can see this earlier in Luke. Chapter 15 begins with this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And he said tax collectors and sinners, but the Pharisees say, Well, they're all the same. Tax collectors are sinners. And you might be familiar with the passage in Matthew 18 in which Jesus is talking about uh, the nature of church discipline and what you're to do when a brother has sinned and and first you go to him and then you take two or three witnesses and then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, he says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Someone who clearly doesn't know God, someone who's outside of God's people. And so when the original hearers would have heard this, they would have recognized Well, I know one person's good and one person's bad. As one commentator said, a Jew who collected taxes was a cause of disgrace to his family, expelled from the synagogue, and disqualified as a judge or witness in court. The touch of a tax collector rendered a house unclean. Jews were forbidden from receiving money, including alms from tax collectors since tax revenues were deemed robbery. Jewish contempt of tax collectors is epitomized in the ruling that Jews could lie to tax collectors with impunity. So today it might be like saying two men went into a church, one a Bible teacher and one a drug lord. Or two women went into a church, one a nun and one a madam. So Jesus here has originally realized there's a good person here 
And there's a bad person here going to the temple to pray. And what's the situation? The reason it says they went up into the temple is because the temple was on a mount. And so you literally had to go up a hill to get into the temple. And as the Pharisee gets there, he's standing by himself and prayed this. And if you have a translation other than the ESV, you might have a different translation there. Because there's a lot of debate about exactly how to understand this phrase. Standing by himself, he prayed. Some take it like the ESV, that, that perhaps he's off by himself, maybe because he didn't want to get close to other people. Some translations say he stood and prayed to himself. Perhaps saying he kind of is praying quietly, but that doesn't seem to really match in with what's going on. Some say he's not really praying to God, so he's praying to himself. I think the best way to understand this, and I believe it's the NIV that translates it this way, is that he was praying about himself. Because as we look at his prayer, that's the content of his prayer. So he's standing, and standing's the normal way to pray. There's nothing really strange about that. It's the most common way for Jews to pray. And he's praying about himself. What does he pray? Well, he begins by saying, God, I thank you. It starts off pretty well. In fact, that's probably better than a lot of our prayers, because a lot of times we don't even take time to thank God. And yet, as we go along in the prayer, it seems pretty clear he's not really giving God a whole lot of credit for these things. This is probably more just the kind of perfunctory way to start his prayers. If he were posting online, he'd begin by saying, I'm humbled, and then list all the accomplishments that he's done. Or hashtag blessed, and then talk about how great his life is. And so what does he do? I thank you, and he lists off several things about himself. Five different times he talks, says I, 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 I. And they're all active verbs. These are what I have done. This is who I am. What does he say? I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, swindlers, robbers, those who take advantage of others. Unjust. I think this is a category for those who are generally wicked, those who do not follow God's law. And adulterers, those who are sexually immoral. Or even like this tax collector. So what did he say? I'm a moral man. Then secondly, he says, I'm a religious man. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. Fasting was only required once a year on the Day of Atonement. Yet the Pharisees voluntarily tended to fast twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And so he's going over and above the law to demonstrate his commitment to God. And tithing of all I get, I think, is also probably going over and above. You were required to tithe of the things that you produced. It seems this kind of language is maybe saying he's even tithing about the things that he purchases from others. They already tithed on it, but I tithed on it on top of it just to make sure because I'm so committed. I'm so religious. And our tendency as we read this is to think, well, he's probably lying. Because Pharisees were hypocrites. But there's no indication in this passage that he's lying. He probably was a very moral man. He probably was a very religious man. He was the kind of guy that most people would say, I'm glad he's in our community. I'm glad he's my neighbor. He takes care of his house. He's kind to others. He does good things. He goes to church every week. And yet, what's the issue? Well, Jesus tells us what the issue is. Go back up to verse 9. 
He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. What is Jesus highlighting here? That this man is self-righteous. He looks at himself and says, this is what I have accomplished. And certainly then, God is welcoming me because of what I have done and because of who I am. And it might be helpful to note that Jesus isn't creating some kind of straw man. We have records of prayers that Pharisees made that were very similar to this. There's one prayer of a Pharisee who said, Lord, if only a hundred men were to be saved, then me and my son would be among them. And if only two men were to be saved, it would be me and my son. Or another prayer that says, I thank you, Lord, my God, that you assigned me a portion with those who sit in the synagogue and not with those who sit on the street corners. For I rise early and they rise early. I rise early to attend to the word of Torah. They rise early to do vain things. I work hard and they work hard. I work and receive a reward. They work and receive no reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come. They run to the pit of destruction. And what do we see happening? Those who look to themselves and trust in themselves, they are righteous. What do they do? What does the end of verse 9 say? They treated others with contempt. What does the Pharisee say? Right at the beginning. I am not like other people. He looks down on them. I think there probably is maybe even a little bit of indication of this in the phrase, this tax collector. I think similar to the, the story of the prodigal son. When the father goes to the elder brother, the elder brother says, I was with you all this time, and yet when this son of yours, this tax collector, someone who's not on my level. And whenever we base our confidence in ourselves, we will look down on others because we tend to define ourselves in opposition to other people. Sometimes it's as simple as saying, this is the team I'm rooting for, and so I'm against the other team. But it goes much broader than that. I'm a civilized person. I'm not some uncouth barbarian. I am a law-abiding citizen. I'm not some lawbreaker or criminal. I'm educated. I'm not one of those ignorant people. I'm a rational person. I'm not driven by my emotions. I'm an empathetic person. I'm not cold and unfeeling. I'm a tolerant person. I'm not a bigot. And whenever we define ourselves in opposition, we then begin to, to, to downgrade those other people. Because if I'm not like them, and they're bad, that's something good about me. And perhaps you're here this morning, you're saying, Ben, that's exactly right. That's our problem. And that's why I don't divide the world up like that. I don't think we should say there's two kinds of people. I'm not like those people who divide the world up that way. And what do you just do? Divided the world up that way. We're always doing this. We are like the Pharisee. We think we are good, and we look at others and think, I'm not like them. They're not as good as I am. Because some people trust in themselves and look on others with contempt. There's a second man in this story. The man that as soon as everyone heard his name knew this is the bad guy. The tax collector. And what does he do? 
We find him being described in verse 13, but the tax collector standing far off. We don't know where the Pharisee's standing, but everything we see from the Pharisee would say, he, he believes, I belong here in the temple. The Pharisee feels like, I can't believe they let me in here. And so he's standing off at a distance. And it says that he is would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. I think that would not even is because one of the most common ways that Jews would pray would be to, to pray with their hands uplifted. I mean, this is reflected in some ways in, in Paul's instruction for, for men everywhere to lift holy hands. But he couldn't lift his hands because he couldn't even lift his eyes. His head was bowed in shame and humility. And he was beating his breast. This was a sign of remorse and grief. And the language is that he's just continually doing this in grief and sorrow. And his prayer is the exact opposite of, of the Pharisee. The Pharisee is, I did this, I did this. There are no active verbs in the tax collector's prayer. He's, he's making a request. He's not giving a list of his accomplishments. And what does he say? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. We have a translation that says, the sinner. I think that's probably a more accurate reflection of what the tax collector is saying here. He's saying, God, I don't know about anyone else. But I know this. I am the sinner. Everyone else in the world may not fall in this category, but I know I do. I am the sinner. And what does he ask? God, be merciful to me. And mercy is an incredibly rich concept in Scripture. But you know what's interesting? The word that's used here is only used one other time in the Bible as a verb. And I want to read it to you. It's in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. Here's the verb, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This verb is actually saying, God, be propitious to me. And what does that mean, to make propitiation? That concept means that God has wrath against sinners who have violated his law. And that they now face his righteous judgment. And what they need is they need an atoning sacrifice. A sacrifice that would cover their sins, that would pay for their sins, so that God's wrath would not come against them. Which is why I really like the translation of the Holman Christian Standard Bible here. Where they say, he prays, God, turn your wrath from me. We don't necessarily know when he's come to the temple. It could be he's come at the time of the daily sacrifices. Certainly he knows this is where the sacrifices are made. In a sense, he's saying this, God, could that atonement count for me? Could my sin be covered by this sacrifice? Could you be merciful to me and turn your wrath from me? And at the end, Jesus gives his conclusion. In verse 14, I tell you. You know what's interesting? 
<clears throat> that, that I think is saying, I'm, 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 I'm going to give you something. But what he actually tells us is God's judgment on these two men. And he's able to do that because who is Jesus? He's God. And so he can tell us God's evaluation. And what is God's evaluation? This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. This man, this tax collector, he was justified. And justified is tied in with his prayer to have God be propitious to him. But justified means this. You are a sinner and yet... Because your sin has been taken away from you and Christ's righteousness has been given to you. You have now been declared righteous. And God said, that's what happened to this tax collector. And yet he makes a strong contrast. The Pharisee stood at the beginning and said, I'm not like this tax collector. And Jesus said, you're right. You're not like him. Because he went home justified and you didn't. Why? The end of verse 14, for, or because, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What does it mean to exalt yourself? It means to trust in yourself that you are righteous. It means to look down on others with contempt. It means to say, I'm not like those kinds of bad people. And when we do that, we will be humbled. We might be humbled in this life in, in, in small ways. The person who prides themselves on being a moral person and having a good reputation, then a scandal comes out that shows they weren't quite as moral as they claimed to be. The person who prides themselves on saying, I can get the job done, I'm effective at my job, and then they end up falling and failing. And as long as we're trusting in ourselves and depending on ourselves, we're, co- we're in constant fear that we might fall. And we're constantly having to put others down so that we can continue to have confidence in ourselves. But even if it never happens in this life, one day, those who trust in themselves, those who exalt themselves, will be humbled for all eternity as God condemns them and turns himself away from them. And yet those who humble themselves... Those who don't trust in themselves, but instead trust in God, they will be exalted. Because right now it's easy for us to look at other people and think, I'm not that bad. Looking around and say, you know, there are people who are worse than me. But one day we won't be able to look down at others. The only place we'll be able to look is up at God. And at that point in time, we'll be very clear. I'm not a good person. I am the sinner. And what our hope is, is that instead of waiting for that day after our death, that we would do that in this life. That right now, we would stop comparing ourselves to others and instead look up to God's perfect righteousness and say, I don't even come close. Jesus is going to point out just in the very next story or two stories down that no one is good but God. There aren't bad people and good people in this world. There's only bad people. That's all there is. But there is a difference. 
The difference is between bad people and good people. The difference is between bad people who think they're good and will not humble themselves. And bad people who know they're bad and humble themselves. The difference is this. These people are not forgiven. And these people are. You're either unforgiven or forgiven. You know what's amazing? Unlike every other divide, unlike every other way in which we say, I'm not like this person. And this divide, when I stand here and say, I am forgiven, I cannot look over there and say, I'm not like those people, though. Because when I am forgiven, I am both at the very same time able to say, I am the sinner. And I am perfectly righteous because of Jesus Christ. Because notice what Jesus says about this man. Back in verse 14, I tell you, this man began to turn his life around and began to follow the Lord and then became justified. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? He went to his house justified. At the very same time that he could say, I am the sinner, God could also say to him, you are the righteous one. And so when I stand here, I cannot say I'm not like that. In fact, I have to say, I'm, I was just like that. And in many ways, I am exactly still like that. I am a sinner, and you are a sinner. The only difference is, I have been forgiven because I was willing to see that. The Lord opened my eyes so I would see I am the sinner. And you can do it too. So I ask you this morning, do you think that you are good? Do you hear some of the kinds of, of sins and people we've discussed this morning and you think, okay, I'm bad, but I'm not that bad. I'm not like them. I have my faults, but I'm generally a good person. And Jesus would warn you today that if you continue to exalt yourself, if you continue to trust in your own goodness, there is coming a day when you will be humbled for all eternity. One of the most sobering realities of this passage is as the Pharisee left the temple, he thought reality was the exact opposite of what it was. As he left the temple, what did he think? I'm justified, not that tax collector. And it may be that you have left this church hundreds of times thinking, I'm right with God, and yet have never humbled yourself so that God might truly exalt you. And I would urge you, don't make that same mistake again. This morning, do you know that you're a bad guy? Do you see yourself like that tax collector? Or perhaps do you see yourself like that Pharisee? That I tend to look down on others. Or perhaps we could ask it this way. Do you believe that in yourself this morning you deserve to go to hell? They will tell you if this morning in yourself you do not believe that you deserve to go to hell, that is where 
you are headed. Because only those who humble themselves will be exalted. I hope as well that as we consider the text this morning, that we would rejoice that there is mercy, there is forgiveness, there is atonement and propitiation. Because in our culture, much like in Jesus' culture, if you're a bad person, that's it. We don't want you anymore. Your mistakes are too great. You have no place in the kind of society that we want. And Jesus would say, you know what? You who think, I don't even have the right to be in the temple. He would say, I will take you to be with me in the heavenlies. Because there is mercy and there is forgiveness. The glorious hope of the gospel is that where sin abounds, God's grace abounds even more. And so do you view others as sinners who need forgiveness like you? That whenever we think, I'm not like that, at best, we have forgotten the kind of mercy that we have received from God. At worst, we may demonstrate we have never received that mercy. Two men came to church. One, a social justice activist. The other, a neo-Nazi white supremacist. The activist prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like patriarchal oppressors, bigots, the ignorant, or even this racist neo-Nazi. I'm tolerant. I work to better society for everyone. Two women came to church. One, a crisis pregnancy director. The other, an abortion doctor. The crisis pregnancy director prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like pro-choice politicians, murderers, even this abortion doctor. I provide care for struggling women. I save the lives of unborn babies. Two men came to church. One a Baptist deacon. The other a Muslim terrorist. Baptist deacon prayed, God, I thank you. I am not like atheists, drunkards, immoral people, or even like this Muslim terrorist. I've been baptized. I go to church every week. But the neo-Nazi white supremacist, the abortion doctor, the Muslim terrorist sat in the back corner of the auditorium, shaking, weeping with their head and their hands, and prayed, Lord Jesus Christ, be merciful to me and turn God's wrath from me. And Jesus would say to us today, it was that neo-Nazi white supremacist, the abortion doctor, the Muslim terrorist who went home right with God and not the others. Because it is the communist, the Nazi, the socialist, the capitalist, the Democrat, the Republican, the libertarian, the faithful family man, the playboy, the philanthropist, the greedy corporate executive, the war hero, the traitor, the serial killer, the cannibal, the sex offender, that all of these can go home justified. And if you think, man, I, 
I'm not sure all those people fit into the same category. And I'd say that's exactly what the Pharisee would say. Because no one, no one can trust in themselves and ever hope to be made right with God. But anyone, anyone can humbly trust in Jesus and find forgiveness. There are no good people in this world. There's only one good person who ever lived, and that's Jesus. Everyone else either remains a bad person, unforgiven, or is a bad person who has been graciously and mercifully forgiven. So this morning I ask you, has God been merciful to you, the sinner? Father, we are overwhelmed to consider the kind of mercy that you offer wicked sinners like us. Lord, help us never to forget how wicked and sinful we truly are. Help us never to forget how free and incredible your grace is. Lord, we pray that even as you did in the lives of those who are baptized this morning, that you would continue to take sinners like us and help us to humble ourselves so that we might receive forgiveness from you. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.